Welcome, everybody, to the PWZ Podcast. This is your host, Rick Del Santo. Got a lot going on lately. Uh, today is a very, very great episode, uh, at least I think so. I was looking forward to this interview. I got uh, legendary enhancement talent on the uh, on the show, Tom Rocky Stone. In this episode, we get to talking about his time in the AWA, WWF, working St. Louis, uh, working Pat O'Connor. He we have uh, stories of Nick Bockwinkle. We got stories of Vader, Harley Race, and tales of his time in the AWA. This is a really interesting conversation, and I only wish that it, it could have gone longer. So hopefully we'll be able to have Tom on again soon. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Tom's Rocky Stone. All right, everybody, and welcome to the PWZ podcast. I want to welcome to the show today, Tom Rocky Stone. How are you, sir? I'm good. Glad to Great. be here. So, basically, I want to talk about your career, and you also have a book out that I uh, I found very interesting that you sent along. It was a, a fun read, I thought. It's very uh, candid, and, you know, it was a pretty good book. Yeah, it's got some good stories in it. There's a lot of great stories in it. I like the uh, the foreword by Steve Carino that was uh, very interesting, very funny. Yeah, he was actually my last match uh, in 2012, I believe. Okay. I broke his nose, knocked his tooth out. I had cataracts. I couldn't see anything. Wow. So I want to talk to you about when did you uh, discover professional wrestling? I know it's covered in the book, but if you don't mind Uh, going into it. Well, I was in high school and my dad became the ring announcer in Milwaukee, Green Bay, and Rockford uh, for Dennis Hilgard and Vern Gagne. So I started attending the matches and... uh, I soon became a heel fan. I would wear Bockwinkle and Stevens shirts and was antagonizing the fans. Uh, and then I met Frank Hill, who later became Jules Strongbow. Uh, he was driving a mail truck for uh, Wisconsin, uh, our phone company here. And I was a security guard on weekends while I was in college. And we became friends and talked wrestling and after he got into it, he actually helped get me into it and got me my first rep bookings down in uh, Kansas City, St. Louis, and for Vern. One of the earliest matches I was uh, able to find uh, online or find information on, excuse me, was you and uh, was it Herman Schaefer against Greg and Vern Gagne? That so was what- the only time Greg and Vern ever teamed up that I know of on TV. And that was my first time going to Minneapolis. What was it like uh, being in the ring with Vern? Vern was always fine. He was okay. Uh, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. At that point, I had had a match with Gary Young and Dan Diamond in St. Louis. And were they basically just beat the hell out of me. And then I wrestled Bruiser Brody. So then a couple weeks later, I went and did that one. Uh and Wally couldn't tell Vern who I was because he didn't want Vern to know that my dad was his ring announcer. So that's why they changed my name to Tom Stone. You also wrestled under your, uh, your real name in St. Louis, correct? St. Louis, Kansas City, and in Mid-South. Okay. Um, so I've got questions about that and some of your opponents and and, and such uh, going back to that as well. Um I have questions about uh, you wrestled in the uh, wrestling at the chase, correct? For the correct. national wrestling Alliance. Correct. What was it like going over there? Uh, 
I get along good with Pat. Uh, it was. It could be. It, the first time was very scary, because uh, like I said, Gary Young and Dan Diamond beat the hell out of me, and then I came back upstairs and I was as sore as I've ever been in my life. And Pat O'Connor said, "You're with Brody on the next tape," and I went over to Frank. Then this was before Frank had gallbladder surgery, so he was like 340 pounds. And he had a V-shape to him, and he was huge. And he said, let me thank you now in case I can't thank you afterwards. Well, after you just got beat up by two little guys, <laughs> that was not real assuring. Uh, he was actually fine. I became good friends with Frank uh, and wrestled him three or four times. I heard outside of his character, like outside the ring, he was actually quite the uh, quiet person and pleasant, uh, pleasant person to be around. Yeah, he seemed to be, but he he beat up a lot of guys. Uh, I know a lot of guys had their nose broken, and uh, one of my guys uh, who wrestled was Rick Gantner on TV, and he became one of the Texas hangmen in Puerto Rico, and later Bull Payne, uh, Brody beat the hell out of him on Minneapolis TV. So you never knew what Frank was going to do, but I got along great with him. Uh, you took on, uh, let's see here, hang on one second. I just lost it. Oh, Bobo Brazil. There you go. Most yeah, that was, at, that was at the end of Bobo's career. He, They were still bringing him in for some St. Louis TV shots. That was easy. Yeah, nothing crazy. It says that you were uh, you went in a two out of three falls match with him, which was that? If I did, I don't remember it. Because I've noticed um, some of the matches when I was looking at that wrestling at the chase in, in St. Louis that – you had wrestled a couple matches that were listed as two or two out of three falls. Was that somewhat regular there? I don't remember that. No, no. Okay. Um, so you took on Dick Murdoch. I don't remember that. No, <laughs> no. I don't I'm going by what I found online. So yeah, I don't remember that. I, mean, I, so. I knew Dick, but I don't remember. And I could have. I mean, yeah. I wrestled so many other guys. I don't remember him in particular. Okay, it's understandable. <laughs> you had a long career, though, so I mean, it's a that yeah, time period. Yeah, it was probably from nineteen seventy eight until probably ninety eight. So about twenty years. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found interesting is that in uh, let's see July nineteenth, nineteen seventy nine, you took on Pat O'Connor, the legendary Pat O'Connor. So. How was that meeting such a guy like that, former NWA world champion and such? Well, Pat was, it was a, he wrestled a completely different style. Mm -hmm. He had me put him in a front face lock and he would suplex me and tell me to hold on. That was basically the whole match. <laughs> he would suplex me and then we'd roll over and I'd still be in control. Uh, I did one thing before that. I did my, one of my first TV interviews there. And I, uh, my interview, Pat wasn't at the tapings that day. And all I did was talk about him being an old man and having to end the career of an old man. Needless to say, that night when we got to the building in Kansas City, uh, this was a week before I actually wrestled him, uh, he tied me up in all kinds of knots in the dressing room.
Hey, this is the one-man goldmine, the one-man enterprise of professional wrestling and all entertainment, Flynn Hendricks. And you better believe when I'm looking for a good podcast to listen to, I go to my own. I go to the I Know You Hear Me podcast hosted by me, Flynn Hendricks. That is such a fresh perspective for how you should look at life, too. Like, I just, I love that. And then when I'm feeling spooky, I go to my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt, where myself, I want my head shoved inside a 15-pound silicone mask more. You know, I want to have a bucket of sweat coming off me at the end of the night. And just Jeff. Dogs don't lay eggs, <laughs> I hate you so much. Talk to other scare actors about what it takes to get into the world of scare acting. So if you're curious about how people became professional wrestlers, actors, prioritized their mental health, became entrepreneurs, avoided burnout, or got into scare acting, you need to go check out I Know You Hear Me and Tales from the Haunt. Available on all podcasting platforms. And I know you hear me. Around the same time, you're going back and forth between um, St. Louis and, and the AWA, uh, correct? Right. We so, were doing St. Louis, Kansas City, and AWA TV. Okay. This was in 77, 78. Okay. So you ended up, uh, now this got, name is going to come up again. So you ended up wrestling uh, Nick Bockwinkle, who was obviously, you know, a legend in that area. And then eventually uh, later on, you ended up teaming up with him. How did the team up end up happening? Ranganya told me you and Nick are wrestling Jerry and whoever Jerry's partner was at the time. Uh, I got it here somewhere. I think I thought it so. was Stan Hansen, but I think I've seen the tape and I don't think it was, but it could have been. I thought I had it written down here. It doesn't look like I do, but um, yeah, that, that was, was, that was much later in, that was near the end of the AWA. That was, I believe it was 1988. Uh, yeah, so that was, you, they only lasted, I think, like another two years or so. Um, also, you took on Billy Robinson as well. Yes. Just, uh, that Billy is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, literally. Uh, so how was that working with Billy? I wrestled him twice. I wrestled him in Milwaukee when he was a baby face. And by the time I wrestled him in Rockford, he would, he was a heel and he he was old, and I had never really talked to Billy much over the years for whatever reason. And I, as I was going to the ring in Rockford, I walked up to him and said, Billy, I got to ask you a question. How come you were such a prick when you were a babyface? And I turned and went to the ring. Jake Milliman was with me. Jake said, why did you do that? I said, let's see what he does. He made me look like Billy Robinson. Right. And he made me look like the greatest wrestler who ever lived. Uh, I mean, Billy Billy was a hell of a wrestler. I mean, a lot of guys didn't like wrestling him. Ray Stevens didn't like working with him, but Nick did. He worked a different style than a lot of guys and did, I guess. And Nick had matches where, even though you were one of them, you had to wonder if they weren't, if it wasn't real. Right. I mean, they were so good. They were on a whole nother level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember some of his later stuff in uh, Japan when he went back and I think he went back in uh, early 90s and he wrestled Nick in Japan, which obviously both of them were a little bit older, but it's a fun match to watch if you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, well, Nick could still go when he was 65. Yeah. The only reason he retired is because Vince didn't want to put him under a hood. If they would let him put a mask on, he would have continued to work. I've never heard that story before. What? What's uh? What's with that? Well, I heard that from Nick. 
Really? I was good friends with Nick, you know. Uh, and in fact, he told me that he had already retired and he was in Vegas at the time. Uh, and I went out to Vegas and we had lunch together. And he said, yeah, I would have kept working if they would have put me under a hood. That's a very interesting story. I've only, I only remember him doing commentary there for a brief period on the, like the televised house he shows. Last, he didn't last long. Yeah. I like a lot of guys. I think that Vince brought in a lot of guys and then he did whatever with him for a short, even uh, Ken Resnick was there for a brief period as well. Yeah, at some point he was just stealing guys to steal them. Yeah. You know, it was, I think at that, period i think the awa suffered the most out of a lot of the territories well watts took a big hit because he lost yeah. dog and dibiase and orendorf and jake roberts he lost yeah. uh so what was it like wrestling with harley race as well st louis pat o'connor used to always say before the matches don't steal anyone's finish guys have spent a long time you know building it up and he was wrestling ron mcfarland Okay. Well, there were probably, you know, 20 guys in the dressing room. Harley used all 20 guys as finish on McFarland, and McFarland kicked out of every one of them. McFarland came back to the dressing room and got a standing ovation from the boys because he was definitely the toughest guy to ever walk, and Pat didn't say a word. He just kind of snickered. He growled. He kind of growled at Harley, but he didn't do anything. I mean, he didn't say nothing. And Harley yeah. came in with a big grin on his face. Because he had used everybody's finish in the whole room. But no, I've never wrestled Harley. That's interesting. Because I, I have an exact date and everything according to the uh, according to this site. So that's very bizarre. Um, I'm sure you've had to have wrestled Rick Martel, correct? Yes. How was working with Rick? He was uh, wildly popular he, at that time. I, I wrestled him when he first came into the AWA. I was like one of his first matches and... I always used to rib Rick that he had to put in 20 minutes and guys like Baron only had to put in six. Uh, but Rick was easy. Yeah. Now, I know you've met uh, Michaels and Gennetti uh, in the I've AWA. I wrestled them in both WWF. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I know I've seen you wrestle them in the AWA and the WWF. So how was uh, those guys were pretty fun to watch at the time. Well, they were easy to work with. Yeah. Sean was already becoming really good. Yeah. Because you could screw up with him and he could save what you did. Uh, he was just, you could see he was going to become what he became. The megastar that he ended yeah. up yeah. becoming. Yeah. All right. So hopefully this one's correct. Uh, have you wrestled Vader, Leon White? Yes. Yeah, wrestled him in Vegas, and uh, he was real green. And I came mm -hmm. out of the match with bloody lip, bloody. I mean, I was bleeding from everywhere. Wow. And unfortunately, in Vegas, we dressed in different dressing rooms, but I was a babyface in the next tape, so I had to go over to that dressing room. And being the idiot that I was, I got in his face and started bitching at him. And probably would have been killed if Jerry Blackwell hadn't stepped in between us. And then Jeez. a week later, I ended up going to a show in, I think, Wausau, Wisconsin. And I got there, and Dennis Hilgard said, you and uh, uh, Leon are the only ones here. 
We need 45 minutes in the opener because the plane's late. And this was a week after. we. It was fine. And that, that seemed to be, you, you'd get in someone's face, but it was all forgotten usually the next time you saw them. All right. I've he heard was, many great stories. It was tough to work with, though. He did everything awkward. I heard he uh, couldn't see too well sometimes, so he would just, you know, go at that, you. That I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the maestro told me that story when I had him on, like, two years ago, probably. Like where you would normally, when you take a shoulder tackle off the ropes or something, yeah, usually be where you hit your left side with their left side, mm -hmm. but he would stand right in front of you. So you had nowhere to fall. He just was so awkward to work with. But he made a ton of money, so you can't. What yeah. he did made him money. Yeah. I mean, then went on and became a big, huge star in Japan and, you know, WCW. And unfortunately, his WWE career didn't pan out the way that they had initially planned for him. But, yeah. So in 1987, you ended up moving on to the WWF, correct? It was probably before. When did Vern do Vegas? That sounds... Roughly around that time, maybe. I thought it was earlier than that. Because yeah. Was, I, okay. I again, my memory isn't all that good, but I took 81 and 82 off, and I thought Jake wanted me to go do TV in Vegas. Okay. But whatever, I was flying back and forth between Vegas. You know, we were doing a Vegas TV on one on the weekend, and they were flying us to do New York the next during the week, and. Uh, but yeah, I was working for both. Um, what was it? How was the difference between going from one to the other? As opposed to AWA was kind of winding down, I suppose you can say, and and well, Vince was basically on its way up. He did things on a different level, right? I mean, when we do TV and you'd get there and they'd have a full buffet lunch, never had that with Vern. Uh, even in Vegas, we didn't get that with Vern. Uh, Vince was, he took it to another level. Yeah. I also think he killed the business, but. <laughs> A lot of people do. When he exposed the business, now, could you have kept the lid on it with the internet? Probably not. But when he exposed the business, now guys, rather than being able to work and not get killed, have to do these in order to get a crowd reaction now, you have to do a triple moonsault off the top rope through a table. We didn't have to do that. I mean, well, I am a very traditional when it comes to watching professional wrestling. So it's like one of the things that a lot of modern wrestling I can't necessarily keep up with, I guess, in my head because it's, like you said, it's there's just too much. And one of the things that growing up as a fan, it's that I've learned less is more in wrestling. That's what gets people interested. Right. Back in back in my day, if you, when I was working with Buck Zumhoff, whose name probably shouldn't be said anymore, but but I could I'd wear flowered trunks and warm-ups yeah. and we could get eight, nine minutes yeah. just trying to get my warm-ups off. Because I'd start to pull them down and the fans would start catcalling and Buck would start clapping. 
and I'd pull them back up, and we could be eight to ten minutes in, and that never have even. I can't do that today. Well, look at what like how Larry Zabisco would with the the stalling, constant stalling. It's the same right. thing, and you know he'd go like you said, eight ten minutes or so. And right. we we had matches on the AWA at the end. Yeah, where Heenan was in a match, and I was in a match, and Larry was in a match, all three back to back to back, and we all did the same. The same things. Uh, it's a good way to draw heat and get the people riled up. It's just well, that the the fan yeah. base today, I don't think, really could tolerate that. No, maybe they could though. Yeah, maybe they could if it was given to them and presented right. Well, maybe yeah. they wouldn't have to do a triple moon salt off the top rope and both guys taking the chance of being crippled for life. Yes, that's, uh, that's, where, that's where what they did hurt. Because you had guys like uh, McFoley who were willing to do almost anything to be the top guy. Right. Well, once he jumps off the top of the cage, now what's the next biggest thing? And it's it, it, you always have to top the guy before you. Right. And it's unfortunate that they, you know, doing stunts like that, somebody has lost their lives. They Owen Hart, you know what I mean? Trying to yeah. do crazy stunts like that. And um, it just became a wildly different show. Right. In they, the they no longer cheer for yeah. Billy Robinson to kick the shit out of Nick Bockwinkle. They right. cheer for the big next biggest move. They don't care who the – they have nothing invested in it. You know, right. in our day – they wanted to see Bockwinkle and Stevens get their ass kicked. That's what they were there for. Now they don't care who gets their ass kicked. They just want to see the next biggest move or who's going to jump off the top of the cage, go through the table, and, you know. Storylines are not uh, are definitely more short-term as opposed to, like, long-term. They, I don't think that, you know, I mean, like you said, if presented properly that they could – go on that way but everything is week to week these days right. right and not just that though it's a whole different mindset in the ring where today they lay the whole match out almost move for move in right. the dressing room right. so they're going to do this well when I was trained I was told find out what the fans want and give it to them so if I took you to the ropes and I hit you and you sold it, and they didn't move, I'd lock up with you and bring you back to the ropes and have you hit me. And that didn't work. Okay, let's try something else. And we'd, keep, we'd fish for what the fans wanted to see. That's what we'd give them. I go to shows today, and you'll see the kid will be clapping, and the fans will be clapping with him, and he'll stop in the middle because it's time to do their next tie spot. Well, but if the fans are buying, they're they're with you. Why would you stop? Right. And there's all sorts of things involved these days. There's ladders. There's chairs. There's all sorts of jumping off of what is highest in the building. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing. It's, I'm sure you've seen YouTube videos where a guy will climb up in a high school gym in front of 40 people. He'll climb to the top of the ladder. He'll be 25 feet above a guy laying on a table, and he'll come flying off. And he'll miss the table. Yeah. 
And you got to wonder what's that all for? I mean, because you're just going to walk away with well, a, like I, when I, saw, I saw that one. I said, uh, if he had asked me to do that, I guarantee you, I wouldn't have been on the table. Yeah. Why? I don't, I don't, I just don't get that. Why you would put yourself in harm's way. When I first started, Ray Stevens told me, he says, my body is a fine piece of bone china, and so is yours. You give me yours, I'll give you mine, give it back to me the same way I give it to you. That's how I was taught. Yeah, and then some of these guys are unable to walk out of there or can barely walk out of the uh, arenas or what right. have you. And, I mean, I'm crippled up enough. I have enough hard, a hard enough time walking, not crippled. I yeah. can't walk, but I can't run anymore. Right. I'm Seventy years old, so. Uh, but I don't. I don't know why you want to cripple yourself. I, I just. I don't get it. So you still watch professional wrestling today? Nope. No. Nope. I watch YouTube of some of the old shit. Yeah. I like the old shit. Yeah. Uh, I, the funny part is I go back and watch more old stuff myself than I do current stuff. Uh, anytime I try watching, you know, Monday night raw or what have you, it's, I, I can know, I know in the first 10 to 15 minutes, whether I'm going to continue with the show or not. Usually I, I probably quit watching wrestling in 1995, even though yeah. I was still working. Yeah. My kid was now playing baseball and I was going to his games. I went, I mean, I go to the show for Vince and I didn't even know, I'd never seen the guy wrestling that I was about to wrestle. Right. And it wasn't like when I was growing up, you know, I knew Nick and I knew Ray and I knew Billy Robinson. And I knew what they did or Greg Gunyan. But by the time I was working for Vince, I wasn't watching it on TV anymore. Luckily, I knew all, most of the guys from either AWA or from Mid-South. Right. And the other guys, well, do the best you can. Yeah. Um. So when you were over in WWF, now you ended up meeting. I'm going to go down a couple names for matches and such. You uh, hold on one second. You took on, you took on Rick Martel again as part of the Can-Am connection with him and Tom. It's possible. I don't remember. Possible. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, what was it like meeting with uh, the Hart Foundation? Uh, I thought Owen was a terrific guy. Yeah. I thought Brett was a nod. Really? A nod. Yes. <laughs> he almost broke my neck with a pile driver, so I have no, I have no respect for him because I hear him whine about Goldberg, and him coming out and saying, "Well, I never hurt anyone." That's crap. Wow. He didn't care about the jobbers. And I will get cut him a little slack because if I was working with someone I don't know, eh, I'm less likely to do something. And he didn't know me. So it wasn't like, you know, I could work with Jake or Ted or Kurt Henning or the, you know, those guys, I could work with them because they knew me. They trusted me, but didn't know me. But I still thought he was a knob. It's interesting. I've never heard anything like that about. I mean, I've heard people complain about his whining, but never anything negative about his in-ring. Uh, oh, I mean, he was a yeah. terrific worker. Yeah, it's just his attitude. But 
he didn't have to hurt me. Yeah. You know, and he could have broke my neck. Yeah. So when I hear him whine, I like him less now than I did then. Wow. And I will say one night we were, we were in Chicago and uh, he, he did give my kid sunglasses and stuff. So, I mean, he wasn't, he was, I just yeah. didn't like the fact that he, I thought he tried to hurt me. Uh, let's see. I, eh. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fulton. The Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Vault, Vault Volume, Volume 1. Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Wrestling Uh, let's see. Uh, at a house show in Wisconsin, you ended up wrestling. You know, hopefully this one's correct. But Jake the Mil- Milkman Milliman at a WWF house show. I have that here. I wrestled Jake a lot of times, but I don't remember ever working for no? New York. No? Yeah, that's what uh, I know that he had a brief stint there, I think, late 80s maybe. Yeah, he's he left. not going there because yeah. he worked a full-time job and was mm-hmm. so much on his job, he didn't want to take two days off during the middle of the week right. to go. Uh, but we wrestled a lot, like, for for Vern. I don't remember ever. Yeah. And I see that he's actually still wrestling today. No, he's not. No? He's this pretty was, sick. Uh... I just saw him. He's got a little bit of cancer that he's supposed to oh, get cut no. out of him. It's not terrible, but he had uh, he had to get a liver transplant and I think a kidney transplant, and he only got them because he was like a day away from no longer being with us, and they gave him someone who had had hepatitis. They gave him, and he was—I mean—he's looking pretty good. I just saw him a week ago. Nope. I was just over his house. Uh, we were like traveling companions over the years. Uh, what about working with Ron Garvin? Ronnie Garvin, I wrestled him in one time. I wrestled him in Sioux Falls, North South Dakota. South Dakota? South Dakota. Uh, and he was simple. Yeah. I mean, I started the match. I took him to the ropes and chopped him as hard as I could, and he led me. <laughs> In fact, Brooklyn Brawler was mad that night because he said he doesn't let anyone do that. Yeah, they must say something there. You know, but yeah. Have you ever worked uh, with uh, Steve Lombardi? No, no, no. In fact, that Sioux Falls, I had lunch with him. Yeah, we had lunch at the hotel together, and then I, then uh, Owen came up and had lunch with us. But I've never, never worked with him. No. Um. Did you? Did you work? Um. WCW? Nope. No. All right. Nope. Never had the never had the opportunity or it was just never wanted to. Okay. At the time it was WCW. I was kind of winding down, but I was still working for Vince. Right. So and at and that we- point, when they became WCW, the job guys are pretty much being 
They were weaned out. They weren't using them anymore. Yeah. They were using, WCW was using guys like Tough Tom and uh, Mean Mike, Mm -hmm. also the Texas Hangman. You know, they did a couple different gimmicks, and they were under contract, and they would just go to do TVs, basically. Yeah. Did you have a hand in uh, training the Tangman? Is that yes. correct? It was... Yeah, I trained both of them. And they ended up working the AWA for a while, if it's the same they team, right? The AWA, they had a nice run in Puerto Rico. Yep. Now, there, there were three or four different hangmen. Okay. He, M- Mike was always one of them, Mike Richards. Uh, and then uh, Frank Vizi, who was later became Bull Payne, he yep. kind of dropped out after some of that. Uh, and then Tough Tom became one of the hangmen. And I know there was a uh, trip to Japan where one of the local guys from Milwaukee, uh, I don't remember what name he used to wrestle under, uh, Butler, Steve Butler, Okay, went to Japan as one of the hangmen. And those, I thought they were- I, those are all guys I had a hand in training. I thought they were one of the more interesting teams in the latter days of the uh, AWA, the because there really wasn't a lot going on there as far as no. like you know talent. Everybody's picked pretty much cherry picked out. I mean, I know uh, uh, you know Nikita Koloff came in probably in the last year. Uh, Tully Blanchard came in. It was just it was real well, awkward. It didn't last long though. Yeah, I know Harley came in for a match or two. I think he was supposed to wrestle Zabisco. I don't know if that ever ever actually happened or not. I mean, Tommy Rich came in. Yeah. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express came in, but they were all in for such a short time. Yeah. And they weren't running that many towns at that time. It was kind they of the line. Uh, it got to the point where they were doing empty like studios with no uh, no fans. They were for for like a yeah. You know, they, they, they were trying to just do something different. Yeah. Then everyone else, and it didn't work. Did you ever work with Jerry Lynn in there in the AWA in his early part of his career? Jerry Lawler? Jerry Lynn? No. No. I mean, I could have had a match with him. Yeah. I don't remember. I think he was uh, basically a job guy at that time period uh, for the most part. He wasn't doing much. I think that was like the first year that, of his career. I could have had matches with him. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so what are you up to today, sir? I go to the dog park a lot. <laughs> I have a Siberian Husky. I'm retired. Yeah. So, uh, do you still training, guys, or no? No. No. Um, you do have a book out. Would you like to tell us about that? Well, the book is called Professional Wrestling, the Theater of the Absurd. It's just road stories. I don't know if anyone can see that. Yep. It's on Amazon. It's also a Kindle book. I think you pick it up for six bucks on Kindle. Uh, but it's road stories from back in the day. Uh, and it covers when I was jobbing. It covers when I was in Kansas City. Uh, covers when we were in Mid-South. Uh, anyone's interested in you know, what was going on behind the scenes, probably, probably enjoy it. It's a short read. It's not... I find that there's uh, I did read it and I appreciate you sending me a, a digital copy of the book. It's uh, there's some really, really good stories in there. There's some stories that are 
kind of comical as well. Uh, yeah. Guy, guys being guys. <laughs> so, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. So I urge anybody that uh, that is interested in a good wrestling book to, to go check that out. So uh, is there anything we'd like to wrap it up with? No, not really. No. Uh, I mean, I kind of said my piece on today's wrestling. Uh, yeah. You don't even try, like, do you ever try watching the uh, current National Wrestling Alliance product at all? Have you ever seen it or come across it? Yeah, I have actually. I've seen the Carino kid. And, yeah. Uh, what's his name? His kid from the Rock and Roll Express. Oh, Kerry Morton. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them. Uh, they're trying to do it a little more. Yeah. Real, I guess. I think I don't know if you put the cat back in the. I don't think you put the cat back in the bag. You know, it's out. It's done. It, it's hard when, like I said, we could do a suplex. Then it became a superplex, and now then the next was a superplex off the cage. Now it's going to climb outside the building and climb under the roof, and. There's eventually no place left to go. Uh, I, you know, it's funny that you said that because it's like uh, I actually tuned on Monday Night Raw the other night, which is what today's Tuesday that we're recording this, and and I've noticed that's a lot trying to watch modern wrestling. It's like a lot of fans just sitting on their hands watching when there's just nothing happening. You know what I mean? Whereas probably someone like you yourself or myself are somewhat enjoying it, but the crowd's not. They don't know what to do while is the actual wrestling portion of the show. That's because they don't love or hate anybody. Right. They don't have anything invested. Yeah. You know, if if they like you and they hate me, we don't have to do a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. Right? If you sell a little bit, we'll get them. But if yeah. they don't they don't care whether you win or I win or they yeah, I don't care. What are we gonna do to get their attention? The last time I actually went to a show, my daughter was born in 89. I went to a show probably late 90s. Okay. To WWF down in Milwaukee. And the people were all sitting on their hands then. There, yeah. was, there was nothing. So you know anything you heard on the TV was pumped in crowd noise. There was nothing. It was just dead. Yeah. I've gone to... Mick Foley was there. Yeah. Uh, can't remember who the babyface tag team was. It was probably the Hardys were there. All right. I watched the Hardys work. They didn't get any crowd reaction. Those guys can both barely walk these days from all that stuff that, you know, the ladders and stuff. So. I don't know. Is. I mean, those used to be good gimmicks when you did them once a year. Yeah. The final blow-off match, you know, you do something major. But now they do them in the opening match on on AEW, from what I've seen. Uh, I've, <laughs> I thought that company had a lot of potential when I first uh, started watching it. And then quickly, within about two years now, I watch it, and it's a complete train wreck of, of a television program. Well, i got to be honest. When I first saw them, yeah. I watched some of their early stuff. Yeah. And they had that one kid, I think his name is Orange Cassidy. Yeah. He'd stand yeah. there with his hands in his pocket. And I always said, if he stood with his hands in his pocket with Harley Race, 
what would Ray Snoodle? Yeah. Hate to say it, I don't know what I could do to him, but if he had done a match with me and put his hands in his pocket, I would have kicked the shit out of him. <laughs> I wouldn't put up with it. That makes you look bad. Yeah. Right? If if you're wrestling him and he's got his hands in his pocket, you look like a fool. The worst part is the fans eat that up. That's that dumb gimmick. And they, that's why he's signed. There's like uh, on the indies, he became like this cult, you know, this cult wrestler, this following. He had this cult following and then people were eating it up left and right. And I always thought it was completely ridiculous. I never enjoyed it at all. I don't get it. I would, yeah. I would have beat the hell out of it. Yeah. And then, and the only thing I think personally, the only thing that the good thing that they have going over there is MJF. I think he's, you know, plays a very good heel. I don't if, know who that is. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. He's, no, that's okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, he's just um, he plays the character inside and outside of television. You know, he's not. Uh, he doesn't go there, and then he's a completely different person outside the ring kind of thing. You run into him. Like, he's kind of like Randy Savage. Yeah, he's he still lived, the same person. He lived his gimmick. Yes, exactly. So, And I've seen him at, uh, you know, online. I've seen autograph signings. He's still in character and tends to do signings and uh, make fun of the fans or write expletives on their, uh, their 8x10s and such. So it's a good gimmick, I think. Yeah, that's really it's really the only reason I continue to tune in to that to that program. Yeah, I'm waiting for roller derby to come back. <laughs> I heard that was <laughs> I heard that was supposed to be a thing at some point. It wasn't uh who was part of that? It wasn't Ken Resnick, was it? Or was it uh I don't, I don't know. No. I know there was some oh wait, that was uh David McLean from uh he ran the women's promotion there. Oh I, I don't know. I no. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you want to throw out there? No, sir. No, sir. I want to thank you so much for doing this, uh, for doing this with me and uh, coming on. And I, I... and that there was my conversation with Tom Rocky Stone. Uh, I really enjoyed watching him while I was growing up working in the AWA and WWF. Uh, very talented guy. Uh, was very good at putting people over in the uh, in his job, I should say. So thank you, and I hope to have him back on again. If you guys get a chance, I'd suggest going to pick up his book. It's a very good read. It's very fun. So if anybody is in uh, the New Haven, Connecticut area, come and check out uh, Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling. This Friday night, uh, the King of Paradise tournament continues. Uh, so if anybody's interested, you guys got to come down. Tickets only $10. You're going to see The Cure, Lucas Chase, uh, Showtime, Marcel Williams, and all the stars of Paradise Alley Pro Wrestling. That's 662 Co. Avenue, East Haven, Connecticut. So next week's show, we're going to have a very good one. Former IWCCW talent, Al Farhat, uh, also known as White Cloud, of the Sioux War Party, is going to be here. I suggest uh, you guys tune in because that is going to be a very, very fun conversation. And we've got a lot of good surprises as far as guests coming up. So without any further ado, go please check us out on all social media. Okay, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. And I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in.